That's Jerry. Good job, well done. And uh, compliment the young people today on a much better result than last week. And maybe that's the solution. Ask harder questions and get more answers that way. Well, good morning and once again, welcome to the Family Bible Hour. It's always a privilege and a joy to meet with the saints at faith and to open the Word of God. Last week, we once again had a very uplifting message by our brother Chris Lee on the importance of walking with God. And in that message, he expounded clearly four aspects of our walk. Worship, abiding in Christ, looking at Christ, and keeping on in Christ. This week, we once again resume our studies on the book of Genesis, and we'll be looking at chapter 44 as our main text. But interestingly enough, we will also be touching on the importance of walking with God as we dissect this chapter. I would also like to thank Luke for reading this chapter for us before I begin my message. And the reason I am asking him to read for us instead of reading them myself is that my messages then don't seem to be so long and so boring and have a less chance of putting the audience to sleep. So thank you once again, Luke, for reading for us this morning. So if you still have your Bibles handy, would you please turn with me to Genesis chapter 44, verses 1 to 34. That'll be our main text. And as always, let's open up in a word of prayer first. Our Father and our God, uh, we thank thee so much for being here today with us. We thank thee for preserving thy holy word and for allowing us to have it in our very hands this morning. So many in the world today are seeking the word of God at the risk of losing their lives. And we have it so freely available here in this country. We ask the Lord to encourage us to use it, to study it, and to believe it more fervently than we have in the past. And as we open thy word this morning, Lord Jesus, we pray that the Spirit of God will be pleased to grant us understanding of the text before us so that we might get a better glimpse of our blessed Savior and what he would have us to do. For we ask it in thy name and for thy glory. Amen. Chapter 44, verse 1 begins with, And he, that is Joseph, commanded the steward of his house saying, fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry and put every man's money in a sack's mouth. Now carefully notice, please, verse 2 of that uh, chapter. And put my cup, the silver cup, in the sack's mouth of the youngest and his corn money. 
And he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. Now, if you recall from chapter 43, the very last scene in that chapter was a very happy scene. The brothers of Joseph were treated to a very bountiful feast. And Benjamin in particular, we are told, was given five times as much to eat as any of the other brothers. And they drank and were merry with him. But sometimes merriment is short-lived. Sometimes life has a way of clouding our perception of reality and the way things really are. And Joseph's brothers were in such a situation, if you like. They came to Egypt to buy corn a second time. And they brought Benjamin because that was the condition set on them if they were to ever see Simeon again. Now remember, Simeon had been left behind as a hostage in their first trip to Egypt. Now they were brought into the dining hall of the Pharaoh's governor of Egypt. And none of this seemed to be suspicious to any of the brothers. Why would the governor of Egypt bestow such honor on strangers, Jews of all sorts, from Canaan? Something inside of them should have thrown up a red flag to warn them that something was wrong with this picture. But it didn't happen. Nevertheless, we are told that as soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away, they and their asses. And though the scriptures do not tell us what the brothers talked about as they left the city gates, we can surmise that they must have been in a state of euphoria, very excited. Things, it seemed, had gone really well for them this time. They were going home with plenty of corn, Simeon was released, and Benjamin was safely in their care. And how proud and pleased Jacob, their father, would be with them. But as we all know, there was so much more to come. God was not through with them yet. There was still some unfinished business. The Bible tells us in Numbers 32, verse 23, that if we have sinned and try to hide it, then we can be sure your sin will find you out. And so upon Joseph's orders, the steward is sent to apprehend the brothers and charge them with stealing his silver chalice or cup from which he drank daily. He charges them not only with theft, but also with ingratitude, verses 4 and 5. Wherefore have ye rewarded evil for good? Is not this it in which my Lord drinketh, and whereby indeed he divineth? Ye have done evil in so doing. In the next portion of Scripture, verses 7 to 13, we have the brothers' defense of their innocence. And please notice that though they had occasion to insinuate that they had been framed, so to speak, similar to the last time, they chose the higher road. They professed their honesty and their integrity instead of putting blame on someone else. Verses 7 to 8. 
And they said unto him, Wherefore saith my Lord these words? God forbid that thy servants should do according to this thing. Behold, the money which we found in our sacks' mouths, we brought again unto thee out of the land of Canaan. How then should we steal out of thy Lord's house silver or gold? They were so certain of each other's innocence that they foolishly uttered a curse of death upon themselves should any one of them be found with the silver cup in their possession and also bondage of servitude upon the rest. Verse 9. With whomsoever of thy servants it be found, both let him die and we also will be thy Lord's bondmen. But the steward alters their oath and tells them that he with whom it is found shall be my servant, and ye shall be blameless. The brothers immediately removed their sacks from their beasts and set them down for the steward to search them. Knowing who has the cup already, the steward nonetheless begins with the eldest and leaves Benjamin for the last. And when Benjamin's sack was opened and the cup was revealed, the scriptures tell us in verse 13 that they, the brothers, rent their clothes. Their hearts were pierced with anguish and sorrow, for it could not have been found in a worse place. Benjamin was Jacob's only reminder of his beloved Rachel, who had died giving birth to Benjamin. This would surely now be the death of their father. See how a little bit of maturity and responsibility can change a person's attitude. When the brothers sold Joseph into slavery, they had absolutely no thought for Joseph's life, nor for what it would do to Jacob, their father. But here we see the soul-wrenching loss that has suddenly come upon them. And we read in the next portion of Scripture, Judah's humble petition before Joseph. He pleads for Benjamin's life because it will be the death of their father should he not be spared. But before he begins his intercession for Benjamin, Judah confesses their sin in verse 16. God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Sooner or later, confession of sins has to be made in order that God, through his grace, may once again be able to bless. Joseph, as we have seen in our last few passages and or messages, is a picture of Christ. He is the right hand of authority of the Pharaoh of Egypt. He has been given the power to judge. And for Joseph, it was important to first assess the hearts of his brothers. Were they the same hearts of envy and jealousy that sold him into slavery? Or had there been a genuine change in those stony hearts? Had God done a work of grace? And was this confession in verse 16 genuine, that God hath found iniquity in thy servants? Joseph would press on with his test, 
For Joseph makes a most interesting statement in verse 15 that leads to Judah's confession. What deed is this that ye have done? Watch ye not that such a man as I can certainly divine? Do you not know that a man such as I, one in such authority, can discover the secret things through divination? Remember, please, that in such a culture, divination was quite prevalent. But Joseph here, I believe, was using it in a slightly different fashion. He had a close walk with God. He was led of the Lord throughout all of his ordeal in Egypt, from the time that he was sold into Egypt to the present time of his rulership. So his source of knowledge and wisdom came from the Almighty and not from the powers of darkness. And no sooner does he make that statement than Judah confesses their sin that God hath found the iniquity of thy servants. Now, what was Judah confessing to? It certainly wasn't to taking the cup, for none of them was guilty of that. But rather, it seems that now Judah's guilt surfaced and their act of selling Joseph into slavery becomes too great a burden to conceal. And though Judah does not relay the actual selling of Joseph, he does in verse 28 tell Joseph that their father believed that Joseph had been torn to pieces by a wild animal of some sorts. And Judah continues to remind Joseph that it was Joseph who asked them about their father in verse 19 and about Benjamin. And they were honest in telling him about their family background and that Joseph insisted that they bring Benjamin so that he, Joseph, could see for himself that they were telling him the truth. But Judah says the words of Joseph, when they relayed them to Jacob, brought him great grief, verses 24 to 29, and that should anything happen to Benjamin, it would surely kill their father, Jacob. And so Judah pleads for Benjamin's life because of his concern for their father, Jacob's sake. Judah also tells Joseph that he, Judah, became surety for Benjamin. That is, he became Benjamin's guarantor that Judah would give his life for Benjamin's life is actually what he was saying here. He concludes his plea with great passion and perhaps with weeping of tears, for such a plea would be impossible to deliver sincerely without tears. Verses 33 to 34. Now therefore, I pray thee, let thy servant abide instead of the lad a bondman. For Joseph had intentionally threatened to keep Benjamin as his slave and let the others depart in verse 17. And let the lad go up with his brethren. For how shall I go up to my father and the lad be not with me? Lest peradventure I see the evil that shall come on my father. 
Here we see for the very first time genuine compassion on Judah's part for both his brother Benjamin and his father Jacob. The Lord Jesus taught that greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. John 15, 13. And Judah was willing to do no less for his brother Benjamin. How fitting that such should be the case with Judah the firstborn. For his very name suggests the praise of the Lord. The giving of his name is to be traced back to the gratitude of his mother Leah at the time of his birth in Genesis 29:35. And one day a more distinguished mother would praise the Lord for a greater son who would also come from the tribe of Judah in Luke 1, verse 46 to 47. And that was the Lord Jesus. We read later on in Genesis 49, verse 8, Jacob's farewell blessing bestowed upon Judah, which began with Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Out of the tribe of Judah would come the future Messiah, who would one day be known as the Lion of the tribe of Judah, Revelation 5.5. Judah also became the first tribe called to fight the Canaanites after Joshua's death in Judges 1, verses 1 to 2. Judah's superiority continued almost to the end of the Old Testament. Judah was predominant in almost everything, in total numbers, in territory, in fierceness in battle, etc. This was the royal tribe, and so it is only fitting that Judah, here in chapter 44, took the lead in pleading for Benjamin. He became the mediator of his brother's release. And so ends this very short chapter, almost abruptly, leaving us suspended and wondering what Joseph's response would be. And Lord willing, we'll tackle that in our next message. But as always, before I step down from this platform, I must ask you some serious questions. If you are a child of God, do you have a close walk with him? Are you in communion with him on a daily basis? Do you read the scriptures daily to discern his will for you? And do you meet with him in prayer unceasingly, pouring out your heart to him in times of sorrow as well as in times of joy? Or do you conveniently set him politely aside on the shelf until further notice? Dearly beloved, the Bible tells us that when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him, Proverbs 16, 7. So many Christians today are searching for peace of mind and peace of soul, but are unable to find it because the wicked one has been able to successfully deceive them into turning away from their first love, the Lord Jesus Christ. He has placed all sorts of stumbling stones in our lives that effectively achieve that end, whether it be obsession with work, preoccupation with entertainment, or the accumulation of wealth, 
All worthy goals in and of themselves, if done in moderation and not at the expense of our spiritual walk with the Lord. And if you perhaps have realized that you have never genuinely yielded your life to Christ, that maybe you really have never been born again of the Spirit of God, then won't you do so today while there is still yet time? Turn from your sins and trust Christ to take control of your life and to redeem your soul. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Acts 16, 31. Let's pray. Father, we thank thee so much for this precious story of Joseph and his brethren. Of how evil can be taken and turned to good. What Satan had thought of hurting and destroying Joseph's brethren and Joseph, God was able to take and make it work out to the good of not only Jacob and his family, but for all of Egypt and for all of the peoples of the nation. Father, we are so <coughs> thankful to have this book that tells us of how thou dost work in the lives of thy people and that our sole responsibility is simply to trust and to obey. So we thank thee once again for our coming together this Lord's Day. And if the Lord be not come, may it please thee once again to bring us together next Lord's Day around thy table and the ministry of thy word. For we ask it in thy name and for thy glory.